0: This morning, we have the privilege of hearing from Pastor Scott Weiss. And if you were here last Sunday, you heard uh, his wife, Pastor Sally, uh, preach. We're going to continue our series on the mission of God. And uh, some cool things just about Scott. He's an Oakland, Berkeley guy, kind of like I am. He's been in the Covenant Church for a long time. Berkeley Covenant Church, Oakland Covenant Church. He was commissioned by that church to then go and serve as a missionary uh, in Africa, serving in Tanzania or Tanzania, depending on where you say it. Um, so he was serving. If you're uh, some long-time missionary folks out there, you might have heard of an organization called AIM, Africa Inland Mission. And so Scott was with them for, I think, 20 years. Is that right? Um, doing theological education. So Scott, come on forward, okay, thank and um, you. let's welcome Scott to come and preach the word to us. Thank you, Scott. That's uh, great. It's good to be with you, Sally, and I've enjoyed our time together. We we got to know Scott. We have a thing amongst the covenant. Uh, once a month, we get together for lunch, and we have we call it a cluster. And I can't see you. You can see me. I know, but I'm just going to pretend I can see you. And um, and we get together once a month for for lunch, and we get for a time of prayer and encouragement. And we got to know Scott at um, uh, prayer retreats as well at Mission Springs, and and other things like that. And when Scott was talking about this um, service and this, this time and mission, and he, he wanted to say, hey, could we get a couple different uh, voices as well into that? And we've had our visiting missionaries a couple, three weeks ago, and Scott starting as well. So we're glad to be here, and we're, we're happy to be with you. Um, it's been a couple of years. Um, Sally and I co-pastored, co-lead pastor a church in Scotts Valley. I'm Scott of Scotts Valley. I don't think you've heard of me. But that's, um, that's been a blessing for us because when we were serving overseas, we were in that male-female world in, in East Africa where the men retreated and uh, made all the decisions and then the women who actually made all the decisions implemented them and complimented the men who actually just ate a lot. We sat around and drank tea and then the women did their thing. And Sally and I came back to the covenant where the covenant embraces women and encourages women. And, and Sally and I then had the privilege of, of co-leading uh, the church over the hill. And I was reminded of, of how gifted she is. Uh, Sally, if you missed it, Sally preached last week. And, um, and I, I thought it was pretty good. So we're just going to go with that. We're just going to go with Sally's message. I just think I'll just give it to you again. But I'm not going to give it to you with the Australian accent because I was born in Berkeley, as Scott said and raised in Oakland, and, and Sally, my wife, doesn't have an excuse anymore because she became a U.S. citizen about a month ago, <laughs> and so that's, that was a good thing, and it's pretty cool. We took the kids over the hill to Campbell to, to, to uh, start that chapter in this season of life as well. Um, anyway, it's good to be with you. We're, we're considering, again, the mission of God, and um, Pastor Scott, in his opening message, uh, defined the mission of God is God's desire and love for the world to be in a reconciled and loving relationship with himself and coming to salvation uh, through faith. And he asked a question that I think is difficult, and he asked, what's our participation in that? He asked, what's our participation individually and what's our participation as a church, as a corporate body, and what is our role? And so I'd like you guys to ask that question again. What is my role? You'll forgive me, I, I'm so old school, I asked that I could have the podium. And um, now I'm realizing that I'm going to be fumbling up here with you guys. But what is our role? It's a, squ- it's a scary question. Uh, what is our role and mission? And actually the answers are scarier, as Scott reminded us. Uh, what is the answer? And what are those things that we step into that make us... Uncomfortable. My part of the story, as Scott mentioned, we are, were serving in mission in Tanzania for a number of years with the African Inland Mission, as Scott mentioned, and we were serving in theological education. We were working at a Bible college preparing men and women to serve the church as pastors. My missions uh, started a long time ago. For me, it started in college. I was involved with InterVarsity. Some of you guys will be familiar. I was raised in the church. I thought it should be good to hang out with some other Christians once I got down to San Luis Obispo to Cal Poly. And at Cal Poly, at university, there's a big group that meets on a Friday night. And I got involved there, and I, I got involved in a Bible study, and I leading a Bible study for a couple of years. And after graduation, I got a phone call. My first year out, I was teaching in Saratoga at the time, and I got a phone call from a couple of students who then were junior and seniors, third and fourth years in college. And they said, hey, Scott. Should we go to Urbana? Now, if you guys haven't heard of Urbana, it's a big missions conference that happens um, every three years. I think now, at that time, it was every four years. Eight to 15,000 people getting together on campus in a missions exposure. And I said, absolutely, you should go. Man, you should go. If you have the opportunity to go, you should go. It's during winter break and have time off. So I called Sam, my buddy, who I led this Bible study with for a couple of years, I said, hey, these guys just called me and they asked me if we should go to Urbana. And I said, yeah, go, should go to Urbana. I said, Sam, why is it again we didn't go to Urbana? He said, well, we didn't have any money. We were eating peanut butter and tuna and, and, you know, top ramen and getting through college. I said, well, we got money now. I mean, he did. He was working as an engineer here uh, making all kinds of money. And uh, I was teaching uh, fifth and sixth grade. And Sam's like, maybe we should go. And I said to the Lord right then and there, Lord, I'm going to go to Urbana, and I give you my heart. Matthew 28, the great call to to missions, is saying to the disciples, I'm going to send you. And so I kind of said to the Lord, here I am, send me. And that's a dangerous thing if you start doing that with the Lord. Here am I, send me. So I went to Urbana, and I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to meet with three missions organizations, and I'm going to have a conversation. And one of those conversations the gentleman sitting across from me, who had talked to 50 other students that day, said, what are you doing? I said, I'm teaching fifth and sixth grade. And he says, what kind of background? I said, I have a BS in, in science background. And, and he goes, would you be willing to um, go to, I don't know, you want to go to, and he named a couple of countries. I go, no, that sounds, that doesn't sound right, you know, I, I don't speak French. He goes, well, we'll send you to Paris for a year and you can learn French. And I go, that just sounds like an eternity to me. He goes, well, what if we sent you to to Kenya? There's a secondary school there that needs a biology teacher. Would you pray about that? And I go, sure, you know, flippantly, sure. And he goes, well, should we pray right now? (laughs) And I thought, oh, it's one of these guys, right? It's one of those guys. Oh, he's serious about this. And anyway, we prayed about that, and I filled out an application. And a year, pretty much a year to the day later, I got on a plane and I went to Kenya, and I went, ended up at a place called Eldoret, and I taught a secondary school for um, a couple years. And actually, in 1993, I met this crazy Australian woman who was traveling around the world with a backpack, who <laughs> loved Jesus, but was doing crazy stuff, looking at what God was doing around the world, and she preached here last Sunday, so you, you kind of know where that goes. Um, but I think um, God was saying to me, in my heart, um, in Kenya at the time, teaching science was good, but we would have visiting pastors come, and we'd assign them a passage. And we had chapel. It was a Christian uh, school. It was started by uh, missionaries. Um, we're trying to faithfully bring up young men uh, in life and prepare them for the world in Kenya. And every time the message was uh, preached, Jesus Christ crucified. Which praise God is, is true. <laughs> But, you know, we would sign them passes in the Old Testament. And I realized their understanding of Scripture was pretty low. So I actually came home at that time, went to seminary, and got my master's in education, in, in theological education, and then ended up back in Tanzania where I was teaching. And uh, Sally and I, eventually our paths crossed. And it was an arranged marriage. You can ask my parents one day. Uh, <laughs> but praise God, they, they, my parents talked some sense into me. And, um, and we've been happily married for 15 years. Um, I hope. I hope that's, that's true. <laughs> you know, sometimes when you say um, to the Lord, um, hey, here I am, here am I, send me, um, there's these phrases like, that we use uh, as believers, and they, they're kind of bumper sticker-like. And I wonder if, George, would you put that uh, slide up for me? Sometimes you see stuff like that. You see, say, crazy, especially, you know, we're over in Santa Cruz these days, and you, ever, you see these vans, you know, around, Anyway, one of those bumper stickers says, honk if you love Jesus, text if you want to see him. And, and I, get, I get it. I get that it's kind of funny. And I get that Christians, we, we put dorky things on our cars. But the cringe factor for me is always high. You know, I kind of go, oh, gosh, you know, is this what people think of Christians? You better take that away, George, because people start reading the other ones on the van. But it's that idea that when I was looking at this verse in Joshua 1 9, I'll I'll read it for you. This is one of those um, themes, one of the overarching themes of being part of this church and for us personally um, in God's word and God's promise is this, Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous, do not be terrified, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go, be strong, the Lord is with you. It sounds like a bumper sticker doesn't it? It sounds a little bit, it sounds a little too easy um, for me. You know, we've been watching Lord of the Rings and because uh, our kids got a little bit older and, you know, they read the books and then with movies and little movies, you know, for us, we we're trying to be like, is this appropriate? And we we're like, oh man, we're so old school, you know. So we were watching Lord of the Rings the other day and there's like Gimli character, you know, and, and they're, he's the, he's the short Scottish guy. He's got the huge axe and, you know, he says something like, um, We love that. And he says something like, uh, overwhelming odds, little chance of success. What are we waiting for? And he grabs his axe and all the guys grab their spears and they run off into battle. Um, I kind of feel like um, that we do that with Christian phrases. I I feel like it's a little bit too easy. Um, But unlike the Lord of the Rings, um, which is kind of like, let's go and do this by ourselves, this is God's promise to Joshua And by association, God's promises to us that if we're participating in God's mission, God's plan, His plan, and by His Spirit, it's God's Spirit in us. And as I was starting to reflect on this phrase um, in thinking about the mission of God in the series that we are in, I was wondering about the context and the background of that verse because we love to use that verse and that verse has got good promises for us. But if you start with Joshua 1.9, you kind of blow it. You've blown it a little bit. It's better if you back up the the, the truck a little bit and look back into Deuteronomy. So that's one of the passages we're looking at this morning. And the context of this passage, and we'll get to it in, in just a second here, I'll just do a quick summary in case you're not familiar with the story. But you got Moses. He brought the people out of Egypt. There's the Israelites. They're wandering around for a while. Things are getting good. There's some unfaithfulness. He and Aaron blew it. There's a rock incident with water. God's a little upset. God says to Moses, okay, you're not going to go in the promised land. All these guys are going to go in the promised land, but not you. Your eyes are good. You're 120 years old, but guess what? You're not going to make it. Go get Joshua. Meet me at the tent of meeting. The tent of meeting, there's a pillar of cloud. God speaks to the people in this pillar. So Joshua and Moses get to talk with God. Moses has been doing this for a while, right? The relationship between Moses and God to the people. Joshua gets to the tent of meeting, and he hears God's voice. The context of this meeting, if you read it, it's 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 pretty grim. Because what happens is Moses gets told by God, "Hey, you're going to die. Your days are done. You're done. But before you go, I want you to teach this song to the people." And the song is going to be a testimony to these people when they fail once they get into the promised land. And the song goes something like this, "Hey, we're happy and we're fat and we're lazy." We're happy that we're here, but we blew it because there are foreign gods that we're serving, right? I don't know, something like that. And I should not have even tried to sing. But the point of the song is that they are going to turn their backs on the Lord. They are going to worship other gods and foreign gods, and God knows this. And he's telling Joshua this. In fact, he's telling Joshua while he's commissioning Joshua to go out and serve. He says to Joshua, it's up to you now. Moses is going to die. And Joshua's kind of going, oh, yeah, I I just heard that. It's up to you now, Joshua, to lead these people into the promised land. And he's thinking to himself, what, these people are going to be unfaithful? These people are going to bail on you, God? Yeah, it's these people. Moses is going to teach these people. I'm going to get angry with these people. In fact, I'm going to get very angry with these people. Shall we read the passage? That's the context. Here we go. Deuteronomy 31, 20 through 23. Verse 20. When I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, the land I promised on oath to their ancestors, and when they eat their fill and thrive, they will turn to other gods and worship them, rejecting me and breaking my covenant. And when many disasters and calamities come on them, this song will testify against them, because it will not be forgotten by their descendants. I know what they are disposed to do. Even before I bring them into the land, I promise them on oath. Verse 22. So Moses wrote down this song that day and taught it to the Israelites. The Lord gave this command to Joshua, son of Nun. Be strong and courageous, for you will bring the Israelites into the land I promised them on oath and I myself will be with you. Man, right? We're kind of way past the bumper sticker at this point. But from this point on, Moses is done. God's no longer going to speak to the people through Moses. He's going to speak to the people how? Through the written law, through the book of the law. In fact, the whole relationship with Israel and by Participation with us, at this point, God no longer will call Moses up on a mountain to the tent of meeting, go back and tell the people this. He had Moses write it down, and Joshua now doesn't have the same relationship with God as Moses did. He's not necessarily going to receive that message. He's going to say, hey, don't forget about the law. Keep going back to the law, go back to the covenant, because the relationship here changes. The covenant is the key now in the relationship between God and his people, the Israelites. And God is saying, I will no longer meet with Moses and talk to him, and he's going to talk with you. I want you to follow the law. But what I just read and what we just heard is they're not going to do it. They're going to blow it. Who heard that? Joshua. Joshua's standing at the tent of meeting, and God has already said, hey, by the way, they're going to blow it. So, oh, by the, and you're the guy. Moses, put your hands on Joshua in front of all the people and give him these words. What are the words? Be strong and courageous, for I, the Lord, am with you. I don't know if about you, but I think if I was in Joshua's situation, it would be a little bit sketchy. I think it's weird, though, because if he knows the end before it starts, what kind of mission is it? How is this going to work? Maybe Joshua's definition of success isn't what God's after at this point. I have a pastor friend, and we meet um, fairly regularly, and uh, he, he's sick, and um, actually in the last few months of his life, and I, I kind of go with him, and I, I, I look for pearls of wisdom, and I was working on this message, I was reading through some scripture, this is a, a while ago, anticipation for being with you this morning. And I was talking to him about the context of this verse, and I was feeling bad for Joshua, and I was kind of feeling bad for Moses. And he goes, hey, it's the same with Jesus. I go, what? He goes, Jesus, his whole ministry, it, was, it, was, it wasn't successful. The way you think about Jesus' earthly ministry, if you look at it from a worldly perspective, did he set the people free from the Romans? Did he kind of come in and become the next king? Did he change everything overnight? No. Even the disciples didn't even believe it, right? Right? If you look at Jesus, he failed. Well, he didn't fail because he did what God asked him to do. He was faithful in coming and going to the cross on our behalf. But from the disciple standpoint, and those people who are called to be faithful in that mission of God, they had their doubts, as did Joshua. But God wants Joshua to be faithful in his part, in his part alone, to lead the people across the Jordan and into battle and let that be enough. I mean, it's a lot right? It is kind of grab your sword and follow me. But I can hear Joshua saying, oh, Lord, if the people aren't going to be unfaithful, or if they're not going to be faithful to you, if they're going to be unfaithful, what, what's going to happen here? God, I, I don't know. I don't know. that. Oh, but God says to Joshua, listen to me. Have I not commanded you? Exclamation point. And usually in scripture, exclamation points mean Exclamation points. Be strong and courageous. I myself will be with you. So it's not how Joshua defines success. It's that God wants Joshua to do his thing. He wants him to be responsible with what God is giving him. And he let that be enough. It's not how we define success, but it's being faithful in our part of God's mission and what we think God is asking us to do. With obedient hearts to trust him, And act accordingly. Joshua did fight the battle of Jericho, though, right? You know that. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. Go ahead and say. No, that's okay. okay. (laughs) But it's true, right? It's it's, it's great for Sunday school. It's good for Hollywood. I love that story as a kid and the marching around, the walls falling on, the trumpets. It's all good, and it's true. And the stories in the scripture to remind us that God's promises are true. But man, what about regular people? What about little people? What about not the Joshuas of this world? I was thinking about people who take a little bit more humble approach. I was reminded some years ago, I was um, in Kenya. And there was this missionary, I was having breakfast with him. He's kind of like Indiana Jones, grizzly, had the Land Rover. He's living in northern Kenya in a harsh area. This is the kind of guy, once he lost both back tires on his Land Rover, he cut down an acacia tree that was bent like this. He had the guys who were with him split the acacia tree in half. He flipped those things over. He drove his truck up onto them. He wired and wrapped cable around the acacia trunks and his back axle, and with his front tires alone, drove the last 30 miles home. He's telling me this story. I'm like, who is this guy? <laughs> right? Who is this guy? And I said, what, are you, what is it you're doing up in northern Kenya? He says, the Lord wanted me to go share, my wife and I to go share with these people. It's a pretty hard group, but he talked about the tribe. I said, man, well, how's that going? He says, well, we've been there for seven years. And I said, wow, that's amazing. What are you doing? He says, we're, we're going to try to plant a church one day. And I said, well, how's that going? He goes, well, we, we haven't had anybody come to faith yet but we're doing it. And I'm thinking, who's this guy? He worked there eight more years. And on his retirement, usually these stories end like, there's multiple churches, right? There's all this stuff. He put a few wells in. He helped start a small clinic. He worked on some agricultural stuff that was crazy, salt-resistant and drought-resistant plants. And he did it faithfully. And there are a handful of believers at his retirement when he was close to 70 years old, there were six or seven people who are, we, we would consider Christians and followers of Christ. Some people who came after them in the mission asked them, those early believers, what was it about the message? Why is it you chose to become Christians? And he says, because Dilly Anderson and his wife, the old man, the way he lived his life, the way he talked about Jesus, the way he helped my family. He says, what is this God that this guy is... This crazy white guy, you know he's come all the way up here to. What is this God? Who is this guy? It's because Dilly was humble and served faithfully with integrity over time. Dilly did his part. He took the call seriously, and he served the Lord. He was being faithful with that which he was given. God's spirit leads Joshua. God's spirit led Dilly and, and his wife, and they were well respected. Joshua was the leader of Israel. We're still reading about it today. And Dilly retired faithfully and said to the Lord, Let it be enough. But what about us? The titles are great, right? We all enjoy titles. We do like the status. Sally mentioned this last week a little bit. We like status, even those amongst whom we work with. We love saying, Oh, yeah, I'm head of marketing, VP of sales, you know. And we, we throw around some titles. I like it when people introduce me as Pastor Scott. That, that I could look at that all day. (laughs) Pastor Scott, it's cool. It sounds great. It it says to me, man, the Lord's Lord's doing something with me. But what if that's not your title, you know? We we are missionaries. We've had some missions experience. We were overseas for a number of years. We were serving in Tanzania, Majahito Bible College. It was rural. You know, we could tell you stories about weird stuff we ate. We could tell you stories about tapeworms. Uh, We could tell you stories about malaria and all that. We do not have time for that this morning. I could tell you stories. But you know what? The reality is, is that we just felt like the Lord was saying to us, be faithful. Go to class on a regular basis. Serve the Lord and see what happens. And we saw many men and women come up through our four-year program and go out to rural parts of Tanzania to serve little tiny churches and to say to the Lord, let it be enough. And God's doing His work quietly. And doing great things but now we're back in the states we don't have that title anymore we're not serving a a church at the moment and what's that look like what's it look like to be a painting contractor i have my california state painter if you guys need any painting you you let me know (laughs) sally mentioned it last week what's it look like when you get kids ready for school and you go off and you work as assistant admin at, at Cabrillo College. And you feel like you're a soccer mom. You're, are You guys feel like this these days? With those of you who are parents, like in and out of the car, in and out of the car. You're like, what is this? What's going on? Isn't there more to life than this? You know? But maybe being faithful is enough. Letting that be. Because is God with you? What role do you play in all of this? And that leads us to our second passage this morning. I, I know I'm rambling, and I could tell you stories, um, but let's look at that. I, I have a question, um, though, before we read that. Uh, have you ever wanted to be a U.S. ambassador? Have you ever wanted to like go overseas and like be the? It's kind of that like grand poobah, right? You walk to the room, and somehow people like usher you to the best seats or whatever. When I was living in Tanzania. Uh, and uh, one of our presidents um, and this woman named Monica Lewinsky were, were, were interacting. I had to go to the market as the foreigner, as the American, and uh, all the Somali traders would come over to me. I used to get my um, beef from the Somali traders, and um, they would say, hey, wh- what's going on with your country? You know, it's like you own the country, right? You're the American, right? You represent. And they say, what's going on with your country? In fact what's up with your president? Is some of this stuff true? And I go, I, I, I guess, I think it's true. Well, what's he, doing in the, what's he doing in the Oval Office? And I, you know, I, was a lot, I couldn't defend the president. And then they are like, and what is it you're doing here again? And well, so I'm working with the church up here, the, the Bible college. They go, you Americans, huh? Wow. I didn't want to be the U.S. ambassador, but I was, wasn't I? I represented both Christ and America in that one moment. And I didn't want to. I wanted to kind of set aside the American thing for a while and just be okay with the Christ part, until I realized that everything I said and did at the market was being watched. I used to tell my students, if you're going to wear a cross to the market, you better watch yourself. Because the first Bible that people read, the scripture that they come in contact with, is your life. If you're the only Christian, at work, that people know, and maybe they don't know if you're a Christian, you carry Christ. Whew, man. Oh, that was too much of an intro for this passage, but we're going to read it. You ready? Okay. We're called Christ's ambassadors. It's not just the U.S. I'm going to read for us. 2 Corinthians five, eighteen through 20 All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that great? And God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You got the message of reconciliation? I think we know if you consider yourself a follower of Christ or a believer or a Christian. It's what Scott said uh, three weeks ago. The mission of God is reconciling the world to himself. The message of reconciliation is that Jesus allows us to do that. That God's grace and love is enough. And that his forgiveness and acceptance is enough. And we can do that through relationship with Jesus Christ. And we have access to God the Father. That's powerful stuff. Guess what? He gave you that message. He's given you that ministry. If we are Christ's ambassadors, God gave us a bit of him. The language here in Greek is not as strong as that which is commanded in Joshua. With the Old Testament, Joshua was commanded to do. He didn't really have an option, Joshua. I don't know how he could have said no to God. He was commanded. He gave us the message of religion. The, The word give us is he has extended an offering to us. God doesn't need us. He can do whatever he wants but he chooses to use us. He chooses to use this church in this community. He chooses us as individuals when we go out into our workplaces and in our homes and in our families and our neighbors, when we go to places like gleanings, when we go places like the Philippines. I think this whole thing is a setup for next week's meeting, by the way. I think if God's already touching your heart, you don't even have a choice. You came, all right? And you're like, oh, man, I don't know about this. God's saying to you, maybe you should be available. God's saying, hey, I've given you the message of reconciliation. God's giving us an opportunity to participate with him. He doesn't need us, but he's choosing to use us. Why are you in church today? Why did you come? Why do you consider yourself a believer? Why did you come to Christ? My guess is because somebody took time to love and pray and talk with you, to invite you, to participate with you. Some of you have believing parents and grandparents or aunts and uncles. Some of you came through the back of the doors because you you heard something was going on. If it's true that God has used other people in your life to get you to where you are today, how is God using you right now to do that for somebody else? Or do you want to sit with reconciliation, but not offer that to other people. Man, that's a burden. When I was in Tanzania at the market, I didn't want to be an American. And there are plenty of times I didn't want to be a Christian. I'll tell you that right now. And I didn't want to be working at a Bible college. I wanted to be able to go to the side and get some pizza and have a beer. People didn't drink beer, right? Only drunkards. So we couldn't drink while we were there, and that's fine. There's cultural implications and all the rest of that. But there are times where I just wanted to be me. Well, what is that? What is that? If you can't be a believer and be you at the same time, then we're in trouble. <laughs> God's chosen us. We need to extend that love and grace to other people because the message of reconciliation is real. And he's given us that opportunity and that choice. So if you were loved enough, by someone else, I challenge you to love others. God uses us in the mission in loving the world. So I ask that you be faithful in your response to him. And we should take steps of faith and know that God's spirit is with us. It's not a bumper sticker. Joshua 1.9 is real. Be strong and courageous, for the Lord, our God, is with us and is with you. And it's true. And we need to share God's love with others be it city team or socks to the homeless or gleanings or the Philippines or your next door neighbor or having a lunch at work and being so bold as to say you'll pray for somebody or being kind enough to share God's love when the opportunity arrives. I think that's what God is asking of us. So what is God calling you to do? And how are you going to act on it? Be available where God has you right now. And let that be enough. Be faithful in our part so that God can use us through His Spirit and that we can receive the blessings of being part of that. Amen? Amen. Amen.